0: Here at Early Excellence, we specialise in early childhood education. We offer expert advice and guidance through training, consultancy and classroom design. With the Early Excellence podcast, we aim to inspire and support you as well as challenge your thinking. So if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. Hello, everybody. Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 96 of the Early Excellence Podcast. In this week's episode, we're joined by Jess Gosling. Now, Jess is an earliest teacher who is currently based in Poland, but has a wide variety of experience in working with interna- within international schools and in a range of settings as well. And so I think she's a great person. She was certainly a great person to talk to. Um, Jess has written also books to support teachers within international schools she's got such a wide variety of experience to count on Um, as part of our chat we talk about the benefits and the challenges of working overseas and also Jess shares key advice if you're thinking of working internationally so um so yeah here you go here's my early excellence podcast chat with Jess Gosling Jess, hello. You're joining us all the way from Poland, aren't you?
1: Hello, Andy. Yep, chilly Poland. There's a little bit of sunshine today, so we're lucky. Oh,
0: that's good. That's good. It does look very sunny from the window behind you that I can see. It does bright sunshine. All good. All good. And and so, yeah, the podcast this week has a bit of an international flavour uh, because we're talking to Jess and Jess has lots of experience of working, teaching in the YFS. Really, right the way across the globe, almost. Uh, I I was drawn towards Jess's work. Uh, I saw your work on social media. I saw lots of the things that you've been doing. I thought, gosh, that's really interesting. You know, to get a sort of an international perspective of EYFS practice around the world. I think it's really interesting. I know lots of our listeners will probably have thought from time to time about how nice it would be to teach internationally. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk through some, some thoughts, some ideas, uh, and, to, and to share your, your experiences as, as well on the podcast, if that's all right, Jess.
1: That's great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, good. No, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. So before we get started with, I've prepared a few questions, but before we get started with that, um, would you mind just giving us a, an introduction? So, telling us about your experiences and telling us about kind of where you've worked and how you got started with it. Would that be all right?
1: Yes, that'd be lovely. Yeah. Um, so, I've had quite an eclectic career, I think, when I actually think back over what I've done. So, I started out at the beginning after having um, completed a degree, trying out being an ALT in Japan. So that's something you can do assistant language teacher is in primary schools and you don't need to have any teaching qualification. So I tried that out and loved it and then went back to do my PGCE. So I passed that in 2007, did my two years in the UK, which I do recommend everybody does to give you a, a baseline. That was mainly Key stage one. And then I flew off to Egypt and um, my first international school. Um, it was a huge international school and the facilities were amazing with the olympic size swimming pool, all of those things. Um, it was a new and a establishing international school. Um, the revolution happened, so we decided to move <laughs> on um, after our two-year contract and we moved to Vietnam. I spent seven wonderful years in Vietnam. Um, I was very lucky there because I, I was in an international school for two years, but then I raised my daughter for five And what I did as part of that was I worked in the American kindergarten as well in the UIFS. So I I tried a different system. And I also set up my own business um, with preschool children and parents, like a parent group, which was absolutely wonderful. Um, And I did an MA in early years in that time. So that was a great period of growth for me. I moved to Taiwan with my daughter in tow. Um, and my husband and we both started working in a school there, a massive, a huge international school, which had an English, French and German section. And then after that, we have four years there, we moved to Poland, um, We wanted to be a bit closer to family and home. After the COVID years, um, we couldn't travel from Taiwan for three years. So that's a consideration for some people thinking yeah. about it. Um And yeah, in Taiwan, I extensively wrote. I just got a real feel for recording my practice. I guess it was kind of journaling for me, but I was very lucky that TES took a lot of my articles and other places and blogs, and I wrote a book. Um, Because again, with um, everything closing down for a while, I decided uh, what's the best way to try and put put my energies into something that would help others, and I felt a guide would be really useful. Um, and I, I really didn't want a, a big book. I wanted it something someone could flick through and get some ideas about what to do. So it's kind of a step by step guide: how to get a job, what to consider, um, and how to enjoy uh, international teaching career, which I have.
0: Wow, it's a, such a fantastic career. You know, it really is. It is. You know, it's so interesting, really, really interesting. And um, I, I was going to ask you about the kind of. I suppose the, the starting point of it, was it something that you always wanted to do?
1: Um, I don't know if teaching always was, if I'm very honest. Mm-hmm. Um, after my degree, that's why I decided that I would like to try it first. Like, I'm quite a cautious person, which is yeah. strange because I've lived internationally. <laughs> but I thought, you know, I do love to travel. I did love children. I liked, um, I, I, when I did my work experience, I worked in a library and the favourite part was reading the story with the children. Uh So I thought, I'll just try this. And that's what I do recommend to anyone who's thinking about it. You know, you can go with your degree and you can be an assistant teacher around the world. I think Korea does it. I know Brunei does it as well. So it's a real opportunity to try it out. So when I tried it out, I knew, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. And I loved, loved the youngest children. Mm. Um, I felt such excitement walking into their classroom and vice versa. I received it back. Um, the year six were quite a bit more serious um, so that wasn't quite where I wanted to be um, so when I did take my PGSE, PGSE I um, specialised in five to seven because um, I knew that was the area I wanted to work in and even younger
0: yeah so, yeah no absolutely yeah the, yeah, yeah. And, and were you always did you always want to go into international teaching so you qualified as a teacher, and was it then a yeah. plan to do international teaching, or, or did, it, it, did that it just was happen?
1: Really, yeah, it no, was. I wanted to go. Yes. Um, also, their NQT years were incredibly hard. I know it's a lot of people experience now as ECTs. Um, mm. So I, it it resolved it for me that it wasn't the right place to work at that stage. I felt that my work life balance balance was just non-existent. Yes. <laughs> and this was without a family, and now I have a family. It's even more important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. So, um, so you've got, as you can tell, there, a broad and varied career of teaching internationally. And and so, I thought we'd we'd start off with, um, if someone was to ask you about teaching internationally, about working in schools internationally, um, and you had, and you kind of, they were asking you to make the case for it. Would you be able to make the case for it? You know, what are the benefits of it? What would, what, what if you were starting out, starting out now? Would you, would you? Go for international teaching again? Is that something that would draw you in absolutely. again?
1: Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I think it's much easier to find the benefits actually, um, than than the problems. Uh-huh. Um, so in terms of the benefits, the the two to three years contracts generally, so it's fairly short term, I'd say more of two years. So if you go out and you decide this is really something you don't like, you can you can go back home and, you know, the, and I do feel with just two years out, lots of schools open you up, you know, want you back. Basically, you'll have EAL experience. You'll maybe have a different curriculum experience. So I think it's really worth doing. Um, the aspect of adventure. it's very exciting to live in a different country. Every day is different. Um, especially, you know, outside of school, you have a lot to do, um, lots of things to see, um, new friendships, obviously to make with your colleagues. Um, the international world is a bit different to home as in people all sort of from my experiences they do um, form very strong friendships quite quickly so you will if you look for it you'll find your community and we help each other out um there's a lot of kindness overseas because you know that people are coming without their families and you know extended networks so really your colleagues and also if you do different groups and things outside of school they will become really close friends very quickly um If you research your school well, um, you are very likely to be in a very well-resourced school, far more than the UK. For example, my last school had iPads throughout reception and nursery, um, as well as all the resources we could possibly ask for. They would be ordered for us, no questions asked, um, which is really exciting. So you can really build your own classroom exactly how you want it. This included furniture for me as well in the last school. So we had the whiteboard tables and everything. Um, it It was fantastic. Excellent CBD as well. That's what I found. For example, I've had, so obviously, I work with a lot of EAL children. I've had Ewan Crisfield help devise our curriculum with us. She's a lecturer at Oxford Brooks on EAL. Mary Myers came to talk to us. Jan DuBell, I had coffee with. Um, Karen.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, know, yeah, I know, Jan. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um,
1: Karen Wilding also did all our training and was over on Zoom um, just watching our curriculum and helping us. So it's really exciting to have these big name EY, you know, EYFS people helping us. Um, so I felt I grew an awful lot in that situation. Um, in terms of perks, your housing is usually paid for, especially if you're outside of Europe. Um, Europe is one where you might not get that. Um, insurance is usually paid for, all health insurance. I had Bupa in one of my schools, which was fantastic. Um, flights home are covered generally every year, but sometimes it's beginning and end of contract. So that saves you a lot. Some schools you won't be paying tax or they pay it for you. So your salary you're quoted is what you receive. Um, So there's great saving potential. Um, Again, you've got to choose your country wisely and the school wisely. But um, there is that. Um, For your child, if you have a family or several children, usually up to two children are fee free. Um, So they will attend the international school completely free apart from uniform trips, etc., Um, it's more difficult to find three and more. Um, They will often accept you, but you might have to pay a a certain amount of the fees. Again, with Europe, even for one child, you might be paying the fees. So Europe isn't the the best deal internationally. Mm. Generally, I found you have supportive parents who are really dedicated to their children's academics and their children's developments, which is quite exciting. You know, you do send ideas home to do at home and they will do it and they'll come back and feed it back to you. Um, and we have seesaw, tapestry, etc. So there's there's great communication there. Um, diversity is very interesting and culturally interesting to work with children from other countries. Um, some international schools you will just have uh, more local children that are uh, you know are able to afford the school, but others you will have a mix of lots of different nationalities. So that can be very interesting. Um, and I have found as well. Um, The the SEN support and the EAL support really good in international schools. Um, We usually have a psychologist for the children, as well as um, speech and language therapists, as well as general um, friendship work and things. So if you have children, you know, there's um, you need some targeted support. There's usually that available, which Mm. I didn't receive in the UK. Um, So that was that was really great. So I feel I'm helping the children more. Um, and generally, a reduced teaching timetable to the UK. So, um, earlier, sadly, usually get the less PPA um, because obviously we can't be out of the classroom quite as much as other teachers. They don't have so many specific lessons, but we have around five hours a week um, PPA, um, and that can vary where you are in the school. Um, and also, I'd like to say as well, like the last one, which I found more later in my career, there's lots of opportunities, I feel. Um, For example, in this school, I'm a CBD lead, um, which is exciting for the whole school. Um, And, you know, that can usually be management role, but they will give that to teachers as well. Um, I'm also a phase leader now for three years groups as well, which I really enjoy. Um, I'm enjoying leadership a lot. And I also put myself forward for developing the new campus as well, which is an early year specific campus. And I basically just petitioned for my job to do that. Um, And it was taken on and agreed and so I've got that role as well developing from January um, so I'll be out of classroom so there mm. are those opportunities I feel in international schools that there's more sort of paid smaller roles you can do as part of your job mm. um, which is fairly interesting I think yes. that's just a, there's probably more but I loads, that, from, there are absolutely sunshine, though, sunshine <laughs> in the right countries every day that's,
0: <laughs> yeah no absolutely you know it, it, even even me at this point in my career, I'm, I'm I'm sitting there thinking, cranky, Actually, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> you know, so uh, no, brilliant. Yeah, I um, I tell you what, sort of made me wonder as well. When when I do work overseas, so I I deliver quite a lot of training for for schools overseas, and uh, also my colleagues do as well. So we've worked. Um, I've worked myself with the British School of Brussels and the British School of. Uh, Amsterdam um and also um I've worked over in um over in Thailand as well mm-hmm. uh and, and and in different schools in different parts of the world um is this uh, most of the schools that I've worked with are generally British schools overseas and I I, I wondered whether that's the case for you is, is, is are they classed as British schools overseas the yes. schools that you've generally worked yeah. in mm-hmm. and yeah. so more more likely than not, what you've got there within the setting, in terms of say your EYFS practice, you're delivering the EYFS. Mm-hmm, yeah. that, that's right, isn't yeah, it? So, right, so, you, what, yeah. so you're you're kind of taking the EYFS um, framework and you're and you're using it then kind of in in a an overseas context. Mm-hmm. And it made me think that actually, what I tend to find is that is that. Um, when you go to another country the british education system is actually thought of very highly you know the uifs the for example is thought of very highly um, mm-hmm. and i wondered whether that was the case you know whether you'd found that yourself
1: yes absolutely but i feel it it's not very well understood so a lot of my work as phase leader is really doing coffee mornings with parents and explaining why we do certain things um and because you've got to remember as well the people perhaps that uh, you know Put their child in the in the school. They have had no background in the British education, so it's quite difficult for them to understand too. And sometimes colleagues as well. So you're you're kind of working to develop their knowledge and understanding too of of why we work in certain ways.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. We're going to come back to to touch on that again later on, aren't we? We're going to talk yeah. about kind of the similarities and differences in terms of different countries, different cultures, in terms of countries, in terms of EYFS practice as well. Um, Before we do, let's let's keep going. We've talked about the benefits. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about the real plus points, and you've kind of made that case uh, for international Mm -hmm. teaching. Tell us now about the flip side. Are there any potential challenges in terms of what? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. so I would imagine that there are. I would imagine yeah. that you probably have got a number of funny stories of the things yeah. that have maybe not quite worked out. Um, potential challenges. What, what, yeah, what, what, draws, what, what sort of springs to mind?
1: Mm. Well, like I've, I've stated, you really should research your school and your country really, really well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later because schools do differ and the provision does differ. And one of the disadvantages can be if you have a school that doesn't have a great induction program, doesn't settle you in very well. And um, for example, one school we we showed up at and we were put into a hotel and you think, well, this would be quite nice. But it was it was just the most awful place I've ever been. Um, it was just there were, there were dirty sheets on the bed, oh. you know, like um, the shower curtain hanging by one hook. And it <laughs> it just was really a horrible way to come into a new country. Um, but the good point is, is that teachers are so helpful to each other. Like There's many forums on Facebook. Um and groups you can join and you can just ask about certain schools and have some sort of feedback from people and what their experience was. So um, now it's much easier to find out this information. Um, for a lot of people, being away from home can be very hard. Um, and this may affect you at different stages of your life. I know when I first started out when I was younger and just with my husband at the time, we were very excited. We, we wanted to do all the travel. Um, it was, But now going with the family, it's a bit different because I have to be very aware of what the school's like for her and how it is for us to teach him as well. So there's that pull and that issue. And there's also the issue of, you know, do we stay in the UK with family, too? So if, it, if you are a very, very close family, um, it might be something that's quite difficult to do, quite honestly, depending how, you know, if you have a direct flight home, it helps, obviously, um, short flight. Um, your colleagues can be your friends, um, of course, but this could be a difficulty as well, because some people really like to keep work and school separate. Mm -hmm. Um, You will have more limited opportunities, perhaps, than you would in the UK, um, depending on where you are. Like if you're in Bangkok, obviously, there's lots and lots of groups, lots of expat things going on there. It's not a problem. But if you choose a more remote area, you might struggle to find friends outside of the school. Um, i've developed sort of book clubs so i like setting up um to meet new different people um my husband is really into sports so he would start um hockey or football and this is a good way to make um, friends and connections but they might take a while to make as well um like we say give it at least a year before you decide whether you like what well, you dislike a place more than i that. you know quite because there's the culture shock as well you know so it can can be tricky if um you feel unhappy in in your job or the country. Um, So at least a year really to decide if if it's somewhere you want to stay. Um, There aren't any unions so if you have big difficulties within the school you are relying on your SLT to go to um, which you know depending on what school you're in that can be difficult or not. Um, Also COVID That was a big problem. Um, Hopefully it won't resurge. Um, But that was a very interesting one because it was the first time I started thinking about this is maybe why people don't choose international teaching, because not being able to travel home for three years was very difficult for us. Um, It was even more difficult when in the summertime they shut down the beaches um, as well as any walking paths. So we had that big long summer holiday with not very much to do. Um, yeah, and, and where were you in, at that point? Sort of three years one. ago. Oh, in Taiwan yeah, at that point. One. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um and we were lucky the lockdown wasn't severe at all. We could still go shopping, all these kind of things. We just had to check in and check out of buildings, but all the recreation was closed down really. Um, and obviously travel. So mm. that was Quite quite hard, and that's that's kind of helped us make the decision to come to Europe for a while at least.
0: Yes, yeah, no, it, it yeah. was an incredibly strange time. I was training in uh, Thailand at the time, so just let me think when it would have been sort of the big be- end of February, beginning of March of mm-hmm. 2020. So just as lo- uh, just as COVID was beginning to spread across the world, yeah. um, I was training over in Thailand at the time, oh, and okay. it was. The strangest thing in that it was almost like seeing into the future, because when mm-hmm. I came back to the UK, I sort of came back with this sort of memory of kind of having people coming into the training, having uh, having their, their temperature taken, you know, there, there was somebody at the door with a thermometer and we went, I went to a, a market in the evening and there were stations there, you know, run by the police that were hand-washing stations with sanitizing stations and all of those sorts of things. And it was, and at the time I was thinking, gosh, this is, this seems crazy, you know, such a crazy world, you know, and the face masks and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. And then literally a number of weeks later, that was exactly what it became in the, in the UK. It was a, such a strange thing to, almost, as I say, almost to see into the future of what, what's coming really. yeah. And I guess you would have found something similar.
1: Well, we were just so surprised how it went over and how bad it was over this side of the world, because Mm. we were obviously next door to China. So we were terrified, um, not knowing what it was. Um, But yeah, we were very lucky Taiwan dealt with it really, really well. And this is another side of it where it's actually a plus. We feel very fortunate we were there um, because the, the school closures were quite short term compared to the UK. And um online learning was adapted really, really quickly because we all had the resources we could do, use. Um, seesaw and everything. And kids had iPads. So it wasn't a huge shock to us. It was a good place to be and It kept us safe. So like, this is also a plus, I guess. Um, we weren't yeah. lucky to be in the right place at the right time for us. Um,
0: yeah, but, no, yeah, absolutely. It was a shock
1: for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: no, I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm. OK, so um, some potential challenges, but actually... I think in terms of the balance, there are far more positives there, far more benefits mm. from your list, I, I think. would like
1: to say, though, one other thing that I think is really big is remember if, if you move abroad, everything's changing at once. You know, like in the UK, sometimes you just change a job or you yeah. just change your house, you know, or you might move to a different area. It's not usually all three at once. So this can be a little bit overwhelming for people. Yeah. Um, if I could advise, I would say try to go with someone else, possibly, be it a really good friend or a partner, I think that can really help, just because you can talk about it to each other, you know, and you're going through the same experience, so it, I was lucky I always went with my partner.
0: Yes, yeah, but presumably as well, some some, if not many of the teachers at the school that you will be likely to work in, if it's a British international school, will will be from the UK, is that, yes. Is that correct? Yes, yes? yeah, uh,
1: generally in most schools, all, you know, the majority, yeah.
0: Yes, yeah. yeah. Which, of course, helps. And presumably you then have those strong links with people across the world when you have moved on to another school. So now that you're in Poland, presumably you can count on a number of people across the world who are uh, people from the UK, but who actually have been working internationally over a number of years, perhaps.
1: And that, that's great for networking, especially when you want to move schools and things. You can get, get advice from your different friends in different places. But, yeah, that's right. But that can also be a little bit hard because you make these very strong friendships and then they might move or you might move. Um, yes. So that, that's another interesting angle to it. Yeah, no, I'm especially sure. Especially for me in Vietnam with seven years, that that was probably the hardest for me because, yeah, people, you've come very close to people.
0: Even, even within the UK, when you move schools, it can sometimes feel like starting again. You know, it can sometimes mm-hmm. feel like you're a newly qualified teacher because you have to kind of learn the different ways that this particular school operates and the different, different systems, different routines, all sorts of different things can actually almost feel like you're going back to square one sometimes. So I would imagine you can times that by, by, also, you know, by 10 or, or more if, when you're talking yeah. about going international.
1: Yeah. And it depends on the school. Like, for example, when, you know, if you go to a, a, we call it tier one school, like a top level school, that there can be a lot of things going on in those schools. So in your first few inductors, you usually have an induction week, but you may be given all of these things and then you're suddenly quite shocked. You know, there's, there's so much to to yeah. learn just in a short amount of time. But I mean, other schools are more relaxed. You know, they don't have so many requirements and you can possibly ease in earlier. But yeah every school has its own little difficulties you know as well as good things it's the same as the uk so if you're thinking oh the school is going to be so much more amazing you will work as hard um maybe not as long because you have more ppa and you can get it done in the school day but there will be also problems in an international school as well so I yeah. think it's good people are aware of that
0: no sure no it's important to be realistic i think isn't it mm. yeah okay so um what I thought would be quite interesting would be to talk about how you get started because I'm sure lots of people as I mentioned before I think the benefits definitely outweigh the negatives there so many people I'm sure will be listening to this and thinking that well that sounds great how do you get started with it because I think actually just that first step to me sounds like potentially quite a big step of thinking well actually how do I Find out about roles overseas. How do I apply for a job overseas? Is it the same way that we might do it within the UK, or is it completely different? Are there are there certain things that we need to bear in mind if we are applying for roles overseas? So, so how did you get started on it, and and you know, or, or how would people get started on it if they were applying overseas? What would you recommend?
1: So, mine was the very old-fashioned way of getting the Tes newspaper and looking in the jobs and seeing a job advert. <laughs> Um, and going to London for the interview, um, and basically I got the job on the spot, um, <laughs> which was quite amazing. I love the head teacher. Um, we were quite naive, if I'm honest, um, but we luckily it turned out fine for us. Um, but that's that's the reason I, I kind of give more guidance in my book because I think now you've got to be. There's many, many, many international schools, and you've got to be a little bit more careful with what you might choose. So I would say first think about what type of school you want do you want to go for a small international school with perhaps um, a very diverse community? do you want a larger school which is likely to be very well resourced but you know maybe more just local population um, think about the school you thrive in you know like you don't want to go to a massive school if you you've always been in small schools it might be a bit overwhelming and then think about roughly what I would say what continent you want to be on maybe not countries because if you narrow it down so much then mm. you might be disappointed and especially for your first role it's sort of an only first role you might take something less desirable than you would want <clears throat> just to, to try you know because people are they're kind of taking a punt on you for your first role um because you may not want to be in the international sphere too long um so after that then um mm. Think about what's important to you in the school. I always check on the websites really well if I'm applying to jobs. Um, So you might want to look, um, is there a good representation of different nationalities, you know, the genders up in in management? Um, Also, um, what um, facilities and resources there might be in that school? And the website is usually really good at sharing those things. Before you get to that stage, you don't have to look at the newspaper anymore. You can use job sites. So... TES is the one I always go to because I like British international schools. Um, they work well for me, but also my daughter. But there are um, other sites such as Teacher Horizons, which is a free um, recruitment agency, Teach Anywhere, free recruitment agency. So basically, they you upload your CV and a few details, and they will have a chat with you and help place you in a school. And then there's paid-for agencies um, such as Search and Shrol, And these have um, jobs on a big database and they have full details about every school, including packages, which I think is really useful. Um, I haven't used those. Um, I've always gone through TES and I found my jobs quite quite easily. Um, I feel a lot advertised on there. Another way to go is if you do decide you're adamant you really want one country and you really like certain schools in that country, is to check their websites because they might advertise on their website or even send a speculative letter with your CV, um, if you're really sure. Um, so that's how I would I would go about it. Um initially, but like I said, I really I think you've got to think through really um also what you're doing it for. I think it's quite important. Um be sure that you still love teaching, it's not teaching you want to get out of, because you will be teaching. You know, mm. I feel some people might see it's just as an escape, like they maybe find it very, very difficult in the UK and maybe they're already not very happy with with their job and to move internationally that could compound things so be careful of that Um, for me it was I knew I loved teaching so I really wanted to carry on um, somewhere else and I've always been quite an international person I I did a lot of travel before coming internationally I did part of my degree was in America Um, so so I I had lived and traveled a lot before abroad mm. before um, no no sure so. sure
0: no that's really interesting yeah. I mean yeah. it's it's an interesting point to make isn't it I think that that mm-hmm. yes you're right I think some people will look at teaching internationally who are perhaps at the point in their career where they're thinking well actually I'm not sure about teaching anymore and you know I'm not sure about whether this is right for me and then at that point teaching internationally might seem like a very good option in that it's sort of sticking with something that you know, but it's kind of changing it as well. Um, but you're right, that could have potential drawbacks, couldn't it? Mm. I suppose the, the other side to it, though, is that, and it, and you'll know far more than, than I do with this, but I wonder, is do you find, find that teaching internationally has less pressure? Is there, yes. is there less pressure, do you feel? Mm, mm.
1: It, again, it depends a lot on your school and it, you're really um it's really important you try and research it and ask people about it um some schools can still have lots of after school meetings um, and requirements such as ecas like after school activities and this can vary for example some schools might say you can do one if you want others might say you need to do two a week yeah um, they might be paid in some schools um it really depends um so it's, it's well worth researching. Personally, I feel this still, even in my most um, demanding international school, it didn't match the UK. Um, uh-huh. I still was going home around 4, 4.30, not doing work at home, um, and generally not at the weekends apart from, you know, usual reports, parents' evenings, those sort of things. Yeah,
0: yeah. And of course you, haven't, you also haven't got um, Ofsted inspections.
1: No, but in the UAE, there are inspections um, yearly. So we get, I think it's for Dubai and Abu Dhabi particularly. Um, so you, you want to check that as well. But we do yeah. have COBIS um, often, and for BISIA, they, they are um, sort of regulatory um, sort of groups that come in and will check schools yeah. if your school requests it. And actually, that's another point to put on if you're looking for a job. You maybe want to look at schools that are already accredited you know there's certain procedures and things in place and they're they're running like a british school would at home um so actually i i prefer schools where they are still inspecting but you know every three four years um hmm. and even the inspection procedure it's it's not as severe as it would be perhaps with ofsted um no. they're generally looking for the good in the schools
0: okay no but that, that is interesting isn't it in, the, in the, that does potentially change it does change a school, I think, in terms of how they how they look at their process of development. I think, mm. you know, I, I've often found that that when when I've worked with international schools and and when my colleagues have worked with international schools, both um, as part of consultancy visits and training and and so on, that I think quite often people in international schools they will they will kind of get their teeth into a longer project, mm. so so they will invite early excellence in. To support them on a project, and knowing that actually that project could be over a number of years, and that actually they're going to make sure that we get that we get the, the EYFS practice right in terms of nursery and in terms of reception, we get that we in real depth really get that right, and have the training for the staff and the consultancy and that lots of in depth conversations and discussions. And then sort of beyond that, then, of course, the question is then, well, what about Key Stage 1 practice? And then we might then carry on working with the Key Stage 1 team as well. I can think of a number of schools where actually we've worked over a a long period of time to develop the practice. Mm. And when I compare that to the UK, I think actually there is a bit of a difference there. We do work with schools over long periods of time in the UK. But I think there is a there is a difference. I think the depth and length of time is a difference, and I I don't know what why there is that difference. And I but I do wonder whether it is that pressure from Ofsted, that idea that actually, well, we're expecting an inspection soon. It needs to be training plus consultancy and done quite quickly in order to really have a have a, have a fairly rapid impact. Whereas. Mm-hmm. Quite often when I've worked with schools internationally, there there is much more of that long-term view of it. And I, I wonder whether that's, you found the case, that, that that's the case in the schools that you've worked in.
1: I certainly agree with the long-term view. Like I said, when we worked with you and Chrisfield, it was over three years and we developed our academic programme over that time and we were given that time to perfect it. And I feel there's a lot less fear of getting things wrong that you try out. Um, you know, it's obviously great when they're successful, but there's, um, there's, you can be more flexible and creative as a teacher, certainly. Um, and I have, like, I, I've really developed, I've really focused on a language curriculum with my students as well as content um, to really develop the sentences because they're EAL students at the end of the day. And I have put in different things like um, Drawing Club and Helicopter Stories has been an amazing one for them. Um, and I, I felt the freedom to do that. I've not had to ask someone permission um and that's such a difference i've got to say and and it's quite nice because i think you're just you're known to be the trusted professional in that role especially in eYFS because there's so few of us there um it it's great that people really trust you to do what you should do to support the children move them on yeah um and yeah, no. I didn't feel that quite in the UK, and I was in a Sats year as well when I was there, so I was year two doing Sats. So oh, I yeah. remember what that was like as well, yeah. Yeah. No, trying absolutely. to get them all on certain levels, you know. And um, it's just it's um, quite quite difficult for teachers when you're working like that.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what I th- the, what that leads us onto quite nicely, I think, is 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 our final question, and that is around the the similarities and differences in terms of. In terms of ethos, in terms of approaches to the EYFS, I thought it would be quite interesting to chat to you about, you know, as you as you think about different countries, Mm -hmm. do you when you think about the EYFS practice or the or the even the the sort of the approaches or the 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 kind of thinking around childhood, you know, whether there are similarities, whether there are differences, what you know, whether there are cultural differences, Mm -hmm. what could you could you share with us sort of your experiences around 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 the differences of ideas around EYFS practice around ethos around culture towards childhood as you go around the world? Would you mind doing that for us?
1: Yes, um, I'd say it can be still quite school specific. Don't fear, yeah. because um, they are little bubbles in their country at the end of the day. So. I've been very, very lucky to, um, had some really great EYFS leaders um, that really helped train me and and have a very strong ethic themselves. Um, But I did find in Asia, there was much more of an academic element. So it was interesting coming over to Europe and seeing the difference. So if, for example, in Asia, I taught the Read Write Inc. programme and I was thinking, gosh, they're picking it up so quickly. You know, like we, we were doing it at a slower pace in the UK, definitely. Um, but I was thinking, wow, you know, this is amazing. You know, we're moving through it, but then coming over here, there's not that there's more of the idea that, you know, children should be playing, they shouldn't be doing so much work after school, et cetera, which I think is right. Um, mm-hmm. but then I have to really compensate for that in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the European ethos is more like the UK that I think they understand play-based learning, um, is a good way forward for children. Um. So that, that's quite a big difference for me, I think, as well. Um, like I said, educating parents on EYFS is important as well, um, teaching them how to share a book with their child. And this is world over, you know, and you know, talking about how we really need lots of comprehension first before we move on to, to reading um, words, like wordless books, for example. Um, and, yeah, I, I would say where... Um, Where it's a little bit different as well is that I found it's a bit easier in international schools with with the children that we have, which, like I said, a majority AAL because our class sizes are quite small. So generally, I've had around 16 children and I feel I can give them a lot more interactions. I think it's really, really important because for me, it's all about developing their language um, before we can start accessing the curriculum um, outside of the prime areas, you know, and it's also sort of educating parents on that as well. You know, like we need their social emotional development to be higher before we can start thinking about, you know, the letter formation um, to that degree. Um, so it it is very interesting and it is certainly different than the UK. I feel I'm on still a lot of the UK boards for the, you know, for just to follow what's happening and there's not such a push on, um, you know, they need to have English, maths, topic, phonics, um, all these things in one day. We certainly don't have to do that. Um, we do move with the children much more, which I think is is a real plus. Um, so for example, we'll do topic and literacy and then one maths. Um, at the moment, we're only doing something like two or three maths sessions a week and you know, three or four topic with literacy. And it's just, it's a lot calmer. And I feel the children are more relaxed for that reason, um, and they're, they're getting to play, they're getting into their play quite a bit, um, and we're supporting them there. Rather than, I feel when you've got a class of 30, you're trying to get through lots of small groups with them, lots of objectives, um, it would seem, um, and teachers seem to be at tables a lot of the day, going through the, the different groups. I mean, we can split our class in half and have a, a learning assistant and you know me on one side and, and do our groups that way, so... Yes. Yeah. 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 But, but
0: I think that's absolutely right. What you were saying that mm. I've, I tend to find that as well when when we've worked internationally that that actually the, the time element is often different. That actually what we're aiming for is quite often when I when I work internationally, I think what you tend to see is that what the teachers are aiming for is that quality over time. You know it might take more time to get have this pe- particular piece of work and to do it really well. It might take two or three weeks to do it really well, but that actually that's worth doing it's worth investing that time in it It's something that I tend to find more often whereas I think quite often in the uk there's that real pressure to plan something for this week and then mm-hmm. if we're planning it for this week, it has to be done this week, which yeah. means sometimes rushing through things to get it done and get it finished when actually it sometimes doesn't then help in terms of the quality it doesn't necessarily mean that we've got the best quality from it we've ticked it off it's a
1: lot of pressure though isn't it it's it's kind of ticking things off because they have to be done
0: yeah absolutely um,
1: yeah here we we really make sure the children really understand what what we're teaching them and we go back to them because we have the luxury of that you know we have a small class we can do that um and we also you know I'm I'm a really reflective pa- practitioner anyway. Um, I can't help it really. But it's it's being really aware of what they're doing and trying to put in different things to to support them, you know. And I, I think we're given the time and and the space to do that. Um, like you said, without the, the pressures, um, particularly.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Jess, it's been fantastic to talk to you. It's been really, really interesting to to chat it through. I think I think um, the it from what you are saying, you know, the the, the benefits completely outweigh, outweigh the negatives. At the same time, it's important to go into it with open eyes, really, that if you are considering going into teaching internationally, you know, do take advice um, from different people. Um, in fact, it's well worth going onto Jess's website. Um, so uh, if you go onto Jess's website, there's loads of information there um, about sort of getting started and about what you might need to to check in on and and look out for in terms of schools that I think people will find really useful. Uh, And Jess, you've also written a book. Do you want to tell us about your book, Jess?
1: Yes. So that's Becoming a Successful International Teacher. And it was published 2021 during COVID. So it gave me the time to write it. Um, And it just goes through the different steps because I I didn't have that book, like I said, and we went really whimsically. Um, There were, you know, there were some rough points for us because we we weren't fully prepared when we went and I didn't want other people to have that situation. Um, So it's priced quite well. It's not expensive, but if you're you're just considering it, it's well worth having a little look through. Um, And, and, you know, it also has, which I liked, um, I was able to speak to a lot of colleagues and recruiters and heads about their experiences overseas. So there's snippets at the end of the book about different questions that you might be thinking and answers from lots of different people. And throughout writing the book, I kept sharing the chapters with other teachers and they gave me like little um, little pieces about their experience as well. Little um, vinaigrettes, if you like, um, which is nice because it's not just my thoughts on it. I think it's important to get a range of thoughts. But also you mentioned my website. There's also a Facebook group that you can connect through there, which I set up um, called New to International Schools Teachers, um, which is obviously completely free. And the people on there are very kind um usually veteran international teachers some new ones there's the understanding that we 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 you know really supportive rather than you know if you've got a tiny question it's fine you can ask it on there um and i link i put articles on there etc so you can follow it if it's something you're just thinking about at the moment
0: yeah fantastic well jess it's been lovely to talk to you and really really interesting thank you so much for joining us on the podcast
1: it's been lovely to be here thanks so much
0: So there you go. Thank you very much to Jess for joining us for this week's episode of the podcast and also, of course, to you people for listening along as well. Uh, now, when chatting to Jess, um, I mes- mentioned some of the work that we do at Early Excellence to support schools and settings overseas. Um, we offer a wide variety of services from face-to-face training to, uh, to online sessions, consultancy Projects and uh, and room planning as well. If you're currently working internationally and want to know more about our services, then please do get in touch. Um, you can get in touch with me, Andy, at earlyexcellence.com. If you want to know if you want to know more about the different things that we offer to our international schools, um, thank you very much, everybody. That's about it for this week. Um, have a good week, and we will see you next time.